Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Brad Hunstable to the show. Brad is the CEO and co-founder of Linear Labs, a smarter energy company designing ultra-high efficiency motors and generators. Linear Labs' patented breakthroughs lead to double the torque of competitive motors, increased range, and significantly lowered power consumption. Prior to founding Linear Labs, Brad served as CEO and founder of Ustream, a global enterprise software company. Under his leadership, Ustream powered the top global Fortune 500 companies, scaling to $40 million in revenue. In 2016, Ustream was acquired by IBM for $150 million and became the foundation of the IBM Cloud Video Division. Brad, how are you doing today? Hey Raj, doing well. Thank you for having me. Brad, thank you for joining us. Brad, how's your week going? You know, my, my week's going fantastic. You know, the, the sun is shining. <clears throat> you know, the we're building a great company, trying to do something big. I've got a great team, so I, I, I cannot complain. Well, I look forward to getting into the details with you. But before I do, I'd like to open the show by asking the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Well, <laughs> um, well... Some may say there's a lot of interesting about me. Some may say there's not much interesting about me. Um, I mean, look, the biggest thing is, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kid from Granbury, Texas. Uh, I grew up with a father who was a, uh, very much, in my mind, my hero, a Da Vinci-like character, um, and who has always been there for me and um, inspired me. And that led me to, to, to go into West Point. Um, um, and that experience shaped the rest of my life and, and, now I'm in my second startup, and and I'm, um, I'm I have the incredible blessing to work with my dad, um, and it's the it's the honor of a lifetime. It sounds beautiful, Brad. And since you mentioned second startup, can you give the audience an overview of Linear Labs and your role at the organization? Yeah, Linear Labs, um, it, we believe, is the the future of of electrification. Um, our vision is to see if we can inflect human suffering through incredible feats of engineering, um, particularly around smarter energy utilization. Um, I founded the company with my father. My father invented um, the first new class, we believe, the first new class of electric machines invented in 100 years. Um, and that invention is the basis of, of the company. Um, and we're, we're building, a, you know, we think we're building the next Bosch, the next Siemens, and we're trying to do it here in Fort Worth, Texas. So can you expand on what exactly that invention is and how it might change the landscape of energy? Well, um, after I sold my last company to IBM, um, I wanted to do a project with my dad. My dad comes from the nuclear power industry, um, spent 
decades doing electrification systems and valves and motors and all that sort of stuff um, throughout the country during, during the heyday of the nuclear time period. Um, and, and someone who I've always just had an incredible amount of respect for in terms of his engineering intellect. And what started off as a father-son project, we, I had this wild idea. I wonder if I could take old-timey Texas windmills and get not just water, which is what they're primarily used for. They pump water very effectively, take low-speed wind and, and, and create incredible amounts of torque in that pumping action to pump water for cattle or whatever it may be. My bright idea was, could we also get some amount of usable electricity in the same device? And the reason that was interesting to me was I felt like we could bring them to Africa or, or third, third world countries or whatever it may be and give a, get, you know, change a lot of people's lives with clean water and some amount of electricity to heat a hot water heater so you can wash your hands or provide some LEDs or whatever it may be. Uh, and through that unusual set of circumstances, which, by the way, conventional physics said this wasn't really possible. Um, my dad made a discovery and the discovery is, um, a, a, a family of electric machines and I'll give you a little bit of context. Every motor and generator designed today or used today, the designs date back all the way to the times of Tesla, of, of, of Faraday, of Edison. Um, they really haven't changed. The fundamental architectures have not changed in a hundred years. Um, what my dad discovered is a new class of electric machines, both motors and generators. Um, <clears throat> and originally, the discovery was a linear generator that was on a was designed to be on this this, this Texas windmill, um, and led to a fundamental breakthrough um, that some are calling as bigger breakthrough as a major battery breakthrough. And, and so that that linear generator led to a linear motor. That linear motor led to rotary motors and rotary generators. Uh, we have a global portfolio for this on the patent side. We believe that that's never occurred. No one's ever controlled the global portfolio for a class of machines. And, and it's a really unique machine and technology in that um, it produces incredible amounts of torque. And it does it at very low RPMs. Um, and we do it at very high efficiencies, much higher than what's out there. Um, and and in some ways, that's always been the holy grail in electric machines, which is high torque. Um, if you can do it at lower RPMs, you can eliminate the gearbox. High torque, no gearbox was always sort of what people wanted. Um, and we believe we discovered it. It's amazing. So what are some of the use cases for the motor? Well, look, I mean, electric motors are in everything, right? I mean, 50% of the world's electricity, you know, on average passes through some type of electric machine. Um, and electric motors, you know, they can be the very small you might see in your toothbrush, all the way up to the very big you might see in a mining truck or a generator, you know, size something like you might see in a dam, like a 50 megawatts. These, the, the, the sizes can be all over the, all over the map. Um, but our physics is consistent throughout those. Um, we're entering the market initially um, sort of in that one to five horsepower on the rotary motor side. Why is that important? Well, one, 70% um, of all the motors in the world are under five horsepower. So it's an incredible market opportunity. And two, um, we provide incredible amounts of torque for that volume and that weight, which has a real market opportunity, um, not just to build a great business, uh, but also to have a really big impact on energy. Um, I do believe, and we, we've talked about this before the podcast, is that you know, I think you can simplify almost all human suffering at its most basic level. I, I think fundamentally is an is energy issue. You know, Four million people die a year um, from pollution-related diseases. 
Two million people die a year from the lack of clean water. Um, <clears throat> wars are fought, started, and used as a weapon of suffering because of energy. All these things are energy. And even pandemics, like the one we're in now, you, you could make a case at its most basic levels an energy issue. The, the United Nations has come out and said the kilowatts per hour um, is sort of the most simple way per capita. Um, kilowatts per capita is the most simple way to sort of measure the, the suffering of a society. Um, and so um, it's, it's something that we're very passionate about. Obviously, there's a business to it, which is we want to go enter uh, five horsepower and below, which looks like things like light electric vehicles. It could be small golf carts and scooters. It could be pumps. It could be air conditioners. Um, it could be a, a conveyor belts, a variety of industrial applications. Um, but, but the vision ultimately why we're doing it is, is, is I think ultimately we want to be a part of helping in, in some amount of suffering across the world. So how does the cost of your motor compare to conventional motors that are out there in the market right now? Um, there's cost and there's price. I guess cost, if you're referring to the cost the customer would pay, uh, I think generally speaking, we're going to be more. Um, we believe we're a premium product. I mean, we're giving you more performance. Uh, <clears throat> I'll give you an example. In these light light electric vehicles, so think of a like a, a light electric motorcycle or like one of the scooters that are now going electrified. Um, if you take out the current motors and you put in our motor in the same volume, we increase the range of those about a hundred percent by just replacing the motor, and we're going to give you more torque um, to go up a hill more effectively or whatever it may be. So there's more performance. Um, so I think you know we're we're uh, we're not a uh, we don't view ourselves as a, as a low cost cheap motor. By any means, and I don't think it's an effective strategy for a startup, anyways. Um, and so, but at the end of the day, I mean, a motor is is copper, it's steel, it's magnets, and these are kind of known prices. Um, so it's not um, there's no there's no we're not doing any kind of crazy physics or anything or black you know dark dark energy or dark matter or something weird that would make this crazy expensive. I mean, it's still a motor. It's just a, it's just a different architecture than no one had ever seen. Um, and it has it has the similar materials that are in there. I will note that we use about thirty percent less copper than most motors. Um, our manufacturing process, we think over time, will be more efficient and more less wasteful. And usually, those things have result in in savings. And so, um, we're just now entering the market. But our general sense is, you know, we're going to be more expensive. But but if again, and certain certain customers are going to pay for that performance because because if you can eliminate things like your gearbox in a golf cart or even eventually in a car, um, there's significant savings to the system in terms of uh, weight, in terms of efficiency, in terms of cost. Those things translate into dollars. Um, and so we believe that, you know, this is a premium product and you will be able to realize other costs even if you pay a little bit more. By the way, I agree with you regarding competing on price. That's just a race to the bottom. And you're also right about from a startup mentality, you know, that's the last thing you want to do. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, so I, I look for two, and one of the things when we got into linear labs that was, I guess, a blessing and a curse is that there's so many ways you can go, right? I mean, do you go put, do you go try to talk to Tesla and get your, your brand new motor inside of Tesla? Maybe, maybe not. Do you go, do you go to try to get it inside of some big industrial application or in an air conditioner or in a scooter, whatever it be, or do you do the generators? And so, so it's sort of a almost, I call it the salad bar problem where you walk up to a salad bar and you have a plate 
and you look at the cell bar and everything looks good, but you can only fit so much in your plate. Those are really hard go to market decisions. And so the framework that I typically like to use in startups is, is what I call pain and velocity. Um, pain implies that I solve some sort of real problem for you uh, as, a, as, as a customer. And if I do that, then my assumption is you'll pay a premium to solve your problem. And then velocity means that you can pay me quickly. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't do a startup a lot of good if it's a, you know, if you can eventually get to market and I got to do a 10-year program or a five-year program and go through all these hoops because it's a long sales cycle and a long test cycle and there's a significant, you know, engineering to BD effort. You know, that doesn't, that kills the startups. And so you need, you need velocity as well. Someone that can, how can I get in the market, get, get revenue, get the cash very, very rapidly. And if it, pain of velocity, if you can find those, I believe is a winning formula for any startup. Cash is king. Correct. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned working with your dad. Your dad sounds like quite the tinkerer. Was he actually chasing this product or how did the idea come to him? What was aha moment? Well, if you ask him, um, there really wasn't an aha moment. It was a series of painful mistakes and tries. You know, Thomas Edison famously said, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I only found out 10,000 ways it didn't work. Or something to that effect, and I think there is very much an element to this. You know, the the, the engineering design process um, is is a long one, um, but but starting in this weird area and having a viewpoint. My dad wasn't a traditional motor designer; it's not what he did for a living. Um, and we started out on a problem that was not even what we're trying to solve, which was <clears throat> how do we bring electricity through this windmill architecture in an efficient and efficient, productive manner to third world countries, you know, and I think if we hadn't started, so part of it was we started in a weird place that ultimately led us to something that would, that you would maybe, if you just thought the traditional ways, you would have gone in this weird direction. Um, and so I don't know that I attribute necessarily as much as an aha moment, but I probably attribute it to a lot of really long, hard nights and a lot of mistakes um, and a little bit of luck, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> luck always helps, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> so you mentioned it a couple of times. You mentioned suffering around the globe. You just mentioned, you know, interest in third world countries. The question I like to ask is the why behind what you're doing. But before I get there, where does this desire come from to help people that I'm going to say, you know, quote unquote, are perhaps less fortunate than others or are struggling with, you know, things like energy? Where does this come from? Where does my desire to do that help that? Correct. Um I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, um, I had a good upbringing. Um, my parents were, were great and I, I had a very normal life. We you know we grew up very, very modest, um, uh, to say the least. Um, we had, we had financial challenges as a family sometimes, you know, like anyone did in the eighties and saving loan scandal or whatever it may be. Um, you know, and I think ultimately, um, I, uh, I, I believe, and people, I grew up. I grew up in Texas in a normal place, seeing some people suffer from a tornado getting hit them, or it was a family that didn't have all the resources um, because they they were they weren't even from this country originally, or, or um, you know, just seeing. I, I grew up, you know, also in the time of the Challenger. You know, even though it had a tragedy, you know, the heyday of, of science and NASA exploration where anything was possible, and so um, I think some of that. All of those things combined made me a little bit of a dreamer, but I hoped, 
I hope, um, and going to West Point, um, I think was really important to me as well that, you know, you got to have, sometimes you got to also serve something bigger than yourself. Um, West Point's motto is duty, honor, and country. Um, you know, and there's a lot of, I mean, you do it for other reasons, but there's also a lot of personal, you know, um, you know, you know, in your heart, a lot of personal hope and, and, and joy you get from helping other people. And so, you know, I think if you can find the intersection of all those things, um, why not? I agree. Why not? And I'm sure there's, you know, people listening and people around us that also have this why not, but they don't actually take a step to do anything about it. You mentioned Ustream earlier, now Linear Labs. What allows you, what pushes you to take that step to actually, you know, take action? You know, um, I think that's usually the hardest part for people who want to start a company. Um, you hear about a lot of good ideas, but people don't actually um, take that first step. Um, and I, I don't know if it's my military background, which is, you know, you come up with a plan and then once you get going, plans are kind of worthless, but planning is everything. I think Eisenhower said that, um, there's just, a, you have to have bias to action. There's sometimes you just to say, I don't know what to do, but let's do something. <laughs> um, and just getting something in motion, um, is usually the hardest part. I mean, physics 101 is an object it's not in motion wants to stay not in motion or an object in motion wants to stay in motion. And, and so just getting the inert, overcoming inertia, whether it's your own inertia or other forces is usually the hardest part. And sometimes you just got to go, um, bias to action, you know, so you can think and you only think and plan for so long, but you just got to do something. Um, and then look up and go, you know, did we learn and do we go left or do we go right? Okay, well, let's go right. Um, I think entrepreneurs who can navigate that successfully, in my experience, are usually the ones that that can get the momentum um, because everything, as you know, is stacked against you in a startup. Everything, um, and so um, your inaction to get started is the ultimate thing stacked against you for many people. And some of it's just you got to just say, you know, forget it, let's go, move out. So, being a CEO of two companies, you know, previously Ustream and now Linear Labs, how do you motivate? others to stay in action or continue to take action? Well, um, first thing is I think you start with a really powerful vision and, and opportunity, um, that motivates people as much as anything, right? If you got a really big idea that they can get in, in you know, motivated around intrinsically, um, you know, that, 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 that's a powerful driver. Um, I think second thing is, you, you know, treat people with respect and, you know, be predictable. There's a, there's a, um, an old army general told me something called tips, which stands for talk to people, keep them informed, be predictable and be sincere. Talk to people means you actually talk to them. Uh, you know, you don't just shoot emails. You can't lead over email that effectively, my judgments. So you got to talk to people. Um, I stood for keep them informed people, you know, inform people, make better decisions. You can't over tell everybody everything in the company, but you should have a bias, some bias of transparency. Be predictable means be consistent in how you approach a problem, how you talk to people, how you approach a situation. Um, be predictable, consistent is an important trait of stability. And then, you know, sincere is if people are sincere means essence for sincere. And, you know, people are people. They have their own hopes, dreams, challenges, things going on in the background. You know, so you have to be compassionate to that. People aren't robots and you got to really care. People can read through nonsense if you don't care about them. They're not they're not stupid. If all you care about the money and the exit, then probably have a tough time rallying people behind you. So, 
And you mentioned challenges, again, as you know, the leader of the company. What are some of the biggest challenges you've experienced as being a CEO? Well, in a startup, it's always, the number one challenge you always have is time is against you, um, which time then falls into cash or falls into, you know, getting enough people, enough resources. Um, those are always stacked against you as a startup. And the, the windows typically open and they're not open forever. Um, you got to time these things in some ways, get a little lucky. So time is usually not on your side. That's probably the number one thing. Um, and usually the biggest challenge for a company. Um, in our case, we've got, I mean, we had a challenge of people wouldn't believe we had anything, right? I mean, if you tell people there hasn't been a new electric motor invented in a hundred years in terms of an architecture, and then you're coming out saying you have done that and you're not from the space and, um, you know, people think you're crazy. Um, and so, you know, that's a challenge and, you, you know, um, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So you got to work through that. That was a challenge and, st- you know, still working through some of that stuff, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I think, and then ultimately, um, you know, just being, being, having the fortitude when you, when things aren't working to continue forward, um, that's always a challenge, right? Having the, the energy and the desire and to not get too, to, to forget fast and not get too down when things aren't working and keeping some perspective, um, both that's a challenge for everybody in the company, and usually the really a challenge for the CEO who's who's obviously really close to all of that. Well, on the flip side of challenges, what are some of the most valuable lessons you'd say you've learned about yourself on your journey? Let's see. Um, well, um, my 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 journey started off, you know, originally in the army, and then then I worked in the corporate world for a while, and then I had my first startup. Now this is my second one. So in many ways, I'm not making all the same mistakes I made in the first one. I think I'm smarter. I've got a little bit more patience, a little bit more <clears throat> understanding that, you know, this might happen or that might happen. So I roll with the punches a little bit more. Um, you know, I think in, in this journey, you know, I didn't come from the hardware space. And so that's been, um, it's always challenging to start a company in an area you don't have experience in, which was my, how I did my last company also. Um, so there's a pretty steep learning curve. You got to quickly get up to speed um, and, and hire really good people, which I think we've done. And so I think for me, um, this one has been, uh, had its own set of challenges, um, bringing a market, bringing any hardware product to production for the first time is hard. Um, most people underestimate that. And I think I probably did too. Um, but that's part of the process. You work through it and, and you keep you keep moving and keep solving problems and go on to the next one. That's the old adage, right? Hardware is hard. Yeah, it is. So it's 2030. You have a magic wand. What does the future hold for Linear Labs? What does that vision look like? Well, my hope would be um, that these motors and generators are are, are perforated throughout the world. My hope would be that these motors and generators are, are making systems more efficient or lower cost or um, giving more performance. Um, my hope would be that what we call, we call the, the system the HET, um, that the HET brand is on the outside of all sorts of incredible applications and that it's representative of high performance, it's representative of high efficiency, it's representative of you know, a customer or a buyer who's conscientious of, you know, the world we live in and, and sustainability. 
Um, and, and I think if we, if we do that, um, then I think we may, we, we have a good chance of, of leaving a, a lasting legacy, not only on the business world, but hopefully on, on mother earth and on a lot of people's lives as well. I love the idea of a lasting legacy. Going back to your motor for a moment, the honey badger, who came up with the name and why? Well, the honey badger is one of our test, uh, motors, um, and, um, <laughs> You know, when you do when you do various motors, that's not the one we're going to market with, but, but we, you know, you give them a code name or whatever. We had one code name Atlas and we had one <clears throat> one group of, of motors called the Honey Badger. And, um, it, was, it was the first one we started thinking about designing motors for micromobility and scooters and things that were going to be in the mud and beat up and, you know, has a lot of power in a small package, which kind of sounds like a Honey Badger and um, and, you know, so it sort of seemed fitting. And then there's that funny viral video, um, which I won't say the word, but a hunting badger doesn't give a, you know, beep, um, <laughs> it's a viral video I always liked. And so, you know, there was, it's fun. Sometimes you got to do stuff like that to keep everybody excited. And, you know, it was, it was, it's been a really, it's been a, a fun code name. One that we, we kind of talked a little bit about, not ultimately what we're going to use by any means. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it, that's, that's the background. Well, I like the idea, like you said earlier, about adding a little bit of fun to to work. Yeah, I mean, look, we we got one life. You know, you have some. If you're not having fun, you know, then something's wrong. I would argue, right? So there's got to be a good balance. Not always fun. In fact, most of the time it might not be. But you got to find you got to find balance, undoubtedly. I would agree. So, Brad, last question, and you've already sprinkled the conversation. People are paying attention with a lot of advice, but specific question is. If you could share some advice or words of wisdom, and it can be professional or personal with the audience, what would it be? Well, if you're an entrepreneur listening um, and you want to start a company, <clears throat> my, my biggest piece of advice is going with eyes wide open that it's a lifestyle. Um, it is a lifestyle choice. Um, you will be, have moments when, when people are going out and you're not. You'll be working weekends. It's, it's a full-time gig um and you need to go into that and if you don't if you only do it for the money um you're not really passionate about what you're doing then it's not going to be fun um and, and you won't succeed more likely than not um and you're just not going to be happy um and so if you have something that's really important and you're passionate about it and you're willing to take a chance and 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 work through tough times and not quit and many times when you're about to quit but you just drive through it and and know that it's it's a lifestyle, um, then you got, I think you got to change the success. And that's usually what I, I tell people who are thinking about getting into the, getting out of the corporate world and starting their own company, which, which can be very fulfilling, not for everybody, but, but can be very fulfilling, but also will be, 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 be a journey. And that journey can have a lot of bumps and backwards and up and down and be crazy. Um, but, 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 but if it's meaningful, it's probably worth it. I like the idea of going into it with eyes wide open and, you know, you mentioned earlier, end human suffering around the globe. I look forward to Linea Labs accomplishing your vision. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? No, um, you know, Linear Labs is located in Fort Worth. Um, I think Fort Worth, Dallas, and Texas more broadly um, has a real opportunity to be a, a global player in what I call Energy 2.0. <clears throat> which is to me is the next wave of electrification includes everything from um, obviously solar renewables, um, wind, uh, but, but also 
Um, you know, in, 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 in the motor side electrification drivetrains, which is what we're around. And then all the other incredible in applications that are, that are springing up in Texas. Uh, so I think we have an incredible opportunity here. Texas is a really exciting place to be right now for business and particularly, um, in this industry, which, which again, I broadly call the next wave of electrification or energy 2.0. I wholeheartedly agree. I've been on at least three calls this week with different groups in North Texas around clean energy, clean tech, and this new, like you said, energy 2.0. And I look forward to, you know, working shoulder to shoulder with you to see, you know, to make it happen. Thank you, Raj. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Look Thank forward you, Brad. To- I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter, where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.